Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. everybody to this next in our series Transform Living. Today we're going to be looking uh, at the topic of life in the home based on the passage that we just had read to us Uh, and we're joined today by our senior pastors Dave and Karen Smith so fantastic to have them uh, as well. So before we just dive into the the text itself um, I wonder if the two of you could tell us a bit about your own family life. Okay so Dave and I met in 1982 in a baggage queue at Heathrow Airport. I was immediately smitten. It took her a while to see the light. <laughs> I eventually saw the light as I always do. And um, so yeah it, it, it turned out that we were uh, flying out to Israel to live and work on the same kibbutz. Uh, neither, of us, neither of us were Christians at the time. That didn't happen until the following year. But in 1985, we got married. And um, then... Uh, <laughs> and then we've since then had two lovely daughters, Emily and Annabelle. So um, that... There's a picture coming up soon, and uh, that's when they were five and three, I think, and uh, they're obviously grown up now. Um, This next picture, they were in their early 20s. They've since got married now, so we have two lovely sons-in-law as well, and so Alex and Emily live in London, and Chris and Annabelle live in Cambridge. Fantastic. So, uh, so Dave, as we kind of transition to look at the the text itself, um, what's the main emphasis of this passage? As I've studied this passage, writing the book and preparing for today, I'm just struck how much Christ has come, not just to change us individually, but he's come to change us in all our relationships. And so uh, the kind of setup verse for this whole passage and the memory verse for this week, Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. That is Paul writing to all Christians in the Christian family, so we could say to everybody in Kingsgate, this is a word that we are to get into a lifestyle that's totally countercultural. It's a journey from selfishness to servanthood, and he talks here about the fact that we're to submit to one another. The word submission literally means to place yourself under, and it has the idea that you know, we are to prefer one another. We're to try and meet one another's needs, not just look to ourselves. So this is something for everybody, uh, but also then Paul takes that whole idea of submission and he applies it into the specific context of first marriage, then children to parents, and then into the workplace. Just an aside, we're not going to be covering the workplace now. I write about in the book, and we'll be looking at it in life groups. But in the whole context of the home and family, Paul directs this. He's a single man writing to wives and husbands, and he's actually saying that there's something that is wonderful about your relationship together. Actually, your relationship is founded on a far greater reality, which is the relationship between Christ and the church. So again, even when we look at marriage, this is something for everybody, whether we're married or not, because we can all learn, can't we, from the wonderful relationship between Christ and the church. And then even when he goes on to talk about children and parents, we were all children once, and we need to grow in our attitude of honoring our parents. So we're trusting today that although he's specifically talking about family, there'll be something in this for everybody. Mm, Brilliant. Um, Paul takes this kind of general exhortation for us all to submit to one another, but then he goes on to apply it to some specific groups of people, beginning with wives. So how are we to kind of um, interpret this particular emphasis? Well, first, I think it's important we understand the culture Paul was writing in. The Roman Empire of the day would have been a heavily male-dominated patriarchal society where very often women were treated as inferior. I've got good news. That's not the Bible's view. You know, right from the book of Genesis, we see men and women together made in the image of God and the idea of almost like they're co-rulers together. Jesus comes and he, he, he has an incredibly counter-cultural attitude towards women. He lifts women up. And so when Paul is writing here, first we need to realize it's pretty remarkable that he's addressing wives and husbands and children and parents, and he's including them in the Christian community, not just to husbands and fathers who were the natural kind of leaders in that society. He's saying, no, we're all together equal in Christ. And there's a lovely scripture where he makes that even clearer in Galatians 3 verse 28. Let, Let me just read this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek no racial divisions, neither slave nor free, no social divisions, nor is there any male or female, no gender divisions, for you are all one in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so the foundation of all we're going to see, yeah, let's celebrate that, is our equality and our unity as the people of God. But unity and equality doesn't mean sameness. Um, You've been married, what, seven months, Steve? Seven months. Fantastic. Well done. Uh, (laughs) And you've probably begun to discover, if you hadn't already worked out, that men and women are different, right? Very different. Yeah, very different, yeah. (laughs) And so Paul doesn't treat us the same, and he has, therefore, different instructions to wives and husbands. He says to wives, um, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice it's as to the Lord. Yeah. 
It's out of your love for Christ. It's not just a cultural thing. And then, having uh, talked about the, the responsive of wives, he then spends far more attention dealing with husbands, and we'll come on to that in just a moment. Brilliant. So, Karen, how did you apply this whole idea of submission when you married Dave? By faith. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, um, I, it was by faith because uh, I, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian household, so I had no healthy biblical reference for this. And added to that, I grew up in a single parent family. And so my mum was the head of the household. She had to take all the uh, tough decisions. She did all the hard work. She had to carry all the burden financially. And so, you know, any idea of submission in, a, in marriage was completely alien to me. But um, although I didn't know what it meant, I think I instinctively knew what it didn't mean. And that was that it, I, it didn't mean that I was somehow inferior. Mm. It didn't mean that somehow I didn't have a voice or that my opinions didn't matter. And I just knew that it couldn't be a bad thing because, you know, I got radically saved in my early 20s. And I was so sure of my, the love that the Lord had for me as, as his daughter that I knew that he wouldn't be asking me to do anything that would be harmful to me. So I, I totally understood that Jesus was the head of the church. And so in this context, I didn't really have a problem with a husband being the head of the household. So I, I took it to be a sort of a positive protective measure rather than anything else. Having said that, it did still take some working out. <laughs> you know, there were a few fireworks in the, in the early years. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was a very independent person, I think partly because of my upbringing. So coming into a marriage where suddenly um, somebody else's wants, desires, preferences that may be different from mine, mm. uh, definitely did take some working out. And obviously there were some concessions that, that had to be made. Mm. I mean, I think on the whole though, it, Dave got the harder assignment, which was to love me as Christ loved the church. So. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your mum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dave's just reminded me. I just, um, a few months ago, I had a conversation with my mum and we don't talk about these things very often. I mean, she, you know, she's had to guard her heart over the, over the years. But she just reflected to me that how much she would have loved to have had a husband who was head of the household, who would just have taken some of the weight of the responsibility and the heat of the battle of family life and just how blessed I was to have Dave to actually be that in my life. Mm. Wow. Amen. Dave, um, you, said, you said just a minute ago that Paul, having, having spoken in this verse, he goes on to talk far more to the husbands. Um, and he goes on in Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So as a Christian husband, yeah. how have you lived out the call to love Karen uh, in the same way as Christ loved the church? Well, if I had a report card on me as a husband and year one, the, 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 um, the teacher was said very poor. <laughs> we say that we married for 31 years, 30 of them very happily. Um, but year 31, much, much better. Yeah. In fact, very good. Thank you, darling. Very good. Much, much better. So, Doing great. So, I mean, like Karen, I brought baggage in, not so much from family, but just from selfishness. Mm. 
And so, you know, this amazing example, you know, love Karen as Christ loved the church. I mean, it's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for us as guys, that's, that's a real challenge. And I, I love the tenderness of the passage, how Christ loved the church. He laid himself down for her. It talks about him feeding and caring. So in, again, in a culture where there was male domination and I'm sure misuse of that, Paul does something radical. He says to husbands who were used to being in charge, hold on a minute, I'm not talking about you being in charge, I'm talking about you being a servant. I'm talking about you loving and laying down your life. And so it was, it was a, a challenge for me, but I'm, I'm glad to say I've been you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and yeah. I, I'm, I'm on a good journey and making progress. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have there, been, have there been any specific turning points on that journey, would you say? Yeah, I mean, there's been a number. A couple have come to mind. The first was been married a few years and I was still on this kind of battle really of selfishness and what did it mean to honor and love Karen. And I, I went to a men's meeting and heard somebody talk about the principle that um, our wives are first um, God's daughters before they're our wives. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit took that and basically said to me, you do realize that Karen is first my daughter before she's your wife. And what he was saying that behind that was, you need to treat her really, really special. If she's a daughter of God, yeah. And, and so, so, that, so that was a kind of a turning point. God did something in my heart at an attitudinal level. Yeah. Um, fast forward a few years, um, so I'm doing much better in attitudes, but I don't think you ever find, have found this you know, in your early months in, in marriage, Steve, but I found it, we've been married, I must be over 10 years, and I was doing the best I could, but there were just moments when I couldn't work out, I seemed to be missing the mark. <laughs> and I'm um, sure no guys ever feel that, but I was just... <laughs> I was just couldn't quite get out why we weren't always connecting right. And so we went on the marriage course and there was like a light bulb moment for, mo- for both of us, particularly for me, where we looked at the whole subject of love languages. And the, the whole theme is, it's a guy called Gary Chapman, written a great book on the subject. He talks about all of us have different love languages, not gender specific to the personality. So he talks about words, actions, touch, time and gifts. Well, my primary love language is words of affirmation. So I thought, well, that's my primary love language, so that's what Karen needs, isn't it? So for me, it was kind of enough just to express my affection verbally. So I'd be saying to Karen, you know, I love you. You know, I didn't have a problem saying that. Um, But she's very practical. And so actions and practical help really matter. So while I'm saying I love you, she's thinking, well, if you really love me, you put the bins out. (laughs) And for me, that was like a light. That's where I've been missing it. I've been doing this. I've been thinking this is what she needs, but actually she needs me to put the bins out. And I want to go on record. Year 31, I'm now a very proficient bin putter out. It's, it's there. It's out there now. <laughs> and of course, the same applied, applied to me as well. So because I was uh, tr- responding to Dave in my love language. And so, um, you know, it, words of affirmation were very, very important to Dave. And I remember very clearly one day he kind of turned to me and he said, Karen, you, you don't tell me that you love me very often. And I remember looking at him in the eye and saying... I wash your socks and underpants every week. What more proof do you need that I love you? (laughs) 
So we kind of, <laughs> we've had to kind of learn the so, language. Yeah. yeah, we've had to learn each other's languages and make sure that we, you know, respond accordingly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. That, that brings us nicely to the whole call to be one in marriage that, yeah. that Paul talks about. And he picks this up in verse 31, quoting Genesis 2, 24, uh, which says the two will become one flesh. And so can you tell us how, as a couple, over the years, you've sought to live out this call to become one? Yeah. Again, I think it was a revelation for us, the, the idea that um, we're not just two separate people trying to work it out. There's something of a union that goes on. And again, just a, a reminder that Paul's talking about this, in the, actually in the broader context of the unity or the union between Christ as the head and us as the church. Yeah. So he's, he's elevating marriage to a really high position. And because of that, I think because God has ordained marriage and it's somehow a, a picture of the greater reality of Christ and the church, we need to realize there's an enemy of marriage. There's an enemy of Christian marriage. So we realized earlier on that our unity and our oneness really mattered. You know, if you look back at Genesis, there you've got a, a man and a, a woman, Adam and Eve, um, commissioned to rule, and then you've got the serpent who's trying to kind of come against them. I think it's interesting that uh, before we look at spiritual warfare next week in Ephesians 6, we have this teaching on unity in the church, Ephesians 4, marriage and family, Ephesians 5 and 6, and the workplace. And I think Paul's saying unity really matters. Unity in the church matters, unity in the family matters, and unity in marriage really matters. So I think it was a revelation. We had to guard our marriage, uh, and our unity is on a number of levels, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in the context of what he's quoting here, Genesis 2, 24, the two will become one flesh. I think that's an obvious reference to physical union, the gift of sex, and the intimacy that we can enjoy and celebrate together in that. And, and we've come to realize that you know, the gift of sex is not just a physical act, it is that, but it's also an expression of love that bonds us together on a deeper level, emotionally and spiritually. It's obviously something that we exclusively um, have reserved for one another and, and, and have needed to guard that. But then on emotional and spiritual level, uh, you know, we've also sought to develop that unity. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. Uh, you know, there's incredible power when two Christians pray together. Yeah. And there's incredible power when a husband and a wife come together and pray. You know, we pray for lots of situations, but particularly we try and make a point on Saturday morning, you know, to just have an extended time where we pray for each other, we pray for the family, we pray for the church, we pray for situations in the world. And we're just aware that there's something of the power of our spiritual unity together. Mm. Mm. So good. I know that both of you said to me and Isabel before the importance of a good sense of humour. I mean, what would you say about that whole topic? <laughs> You've got to have a good sense of humour, <laughs> Steve, all of the time. Um, but, you know, I think for me, in terms of the, the oneness, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I was just struck again, even preparing for this message, just the... the the mystery of what that means yeah. in marriage about two becoming one. But on a more pragmatic level, I think there's also this sense, I, I kind of describe it as a, as a great exercise in blending. Mm. And uh, so on a, on a practical level, it's about playing to one another's strengths. And, you know, we, we are very, very different. And so rather than our differences becoming a destructive force in our marriage, we've actually learned over the years to harness them and, you know, and, and see some good come out of them. And, you know, so for Dave, for example, he's very 
big picture, broad brushstrokes. I'm much more, uh, I like to know the detail, I like to see the, the meat on the bones. Dave is like full of adventure and loves change, whereas I'm much more, I like familiarity and I'm very happy with routine. And so we've had to work those things out to compromise and to accommodate one another and to blend with one another and just to make sure we're covering each other's weaknesses and yeah. we're maximizing our strengths and so in a ministry front for example you know we've we've had uh, somebody quite recently just described he, he described this picture of um, of a juggernaut and it was almost like the the Kingsgate ministry being like a juggernaut obviously when we started off very small it was like a little mini when we first moved <laughs> to the city uh, 28 years ago but obviously things have grown and so it, it was like the, the juggernaut is going and Dave is at the at the wheel and you know he's like forward momentum foot on the accelerator and and off we go but he described my role as being more like a wing mirror and on a juggernaut you've actually got to have a much bigger mirror that extends further out than you would on a smaller vehicle and uh, I just thought that was a lovely picture of me being able to do something completely different but equally vital in the work of the ministry you know that if you think of a role of a, a wing mirror yeah, it is kind of is watching right. watching yeah. what's coming up the side where are the potential dangers pitfalls ditches that we might fall into so that is just a little example really of how we've learned to harness mm. you know our different approaches the way we see life and just um, maximize it for, for the good wow amazing Man. two is better than one two is, better two than is one. definitely better than one yeah so we're going to move on now, as Paul does, to, to look at parents and children. Um, and it says in Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And so, Dave, there are, there are two points here. Yeah. Uh, children, obey your parents, but also honor them. And um, and. Could you tell us a bit about your own personal relationship with your, your mum and dad? Yeah. I don't have that many regrets in life, but one is the way I was towards my mum and dad as I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Largely in my teens, uh, just went on a full-scale teenage rebellion. And I look back, and I'm sure I put my mum and dad through living hell. And uh, that wasn't because they were bad parents. They were great parents. They provided a very secure uh, relationship. And one of the things that... I most got convicted of, God began to transform me most when I first became a Christian, was he convicted me of how I'd been birth towards mum and dad. And I, I remember writing a letter just saying how sorry I was. And I think it was really important I did that. <clears throat> you know, you've just quoted there, honour your father and mother that it all may go well with you yeah. and you might live long on the earth. And it was almost like just something of God's forgiveness and cleansing for me and the good news is I have a fantastic relationship with, with my mum and dad. They're not hard to love and honour, but, you know, as they're getting older, Karen and I have sought to be more giving and help them, watch out for them. You know, little things like if dad's away, check how mum's doing, you know, send them cards, just, just generally be, and, you know, we, we speak well of them, we pray for them. But for me, it's been a pretty easy journey because they've been a great mum and dad. But I'm conscious that for many people... It's not so easy at all, but I do believe it's a critical principle, honour your father and mother. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about you, Karen? How have you sought to honour your, your parents? Yeah, well, I do think this issue of honouring parents can be very 
complex, particularly where family relationships are challenging or very dysfunctional. And so I've already mentioned that I grew up in a single-parent family. My dad left the family home when I was six years old, and my mum had to bring up five children on her own. But something that I will always be very grateful to my mum for is that she never poisoned my heart towards my dad, mm -hmm. even though she had every reason to. She allowed each of us the choice as to what kind of relationship we had with him. And so growing up, I had, relatively speaking, all things considered, a, a healthy mm -hmm. relationship with him. I could say, honestly say I, I loved I loved my dad. And so, you know, the issue of honour wasn't so difficult for me um, because my mum had been very magnanimous and so what potentially could have been very difficult was, was easier um, for me. I didn't feel like I was carrying a lot of baggage, a lot of unforgiveness or, or bitterness towards my dad. Now, I don't see him very much now, um, but I can still, I still very much honour him because I think it is something of the heart. It's something that, you know, happens on the, on the inside of us. And so even if we don't have a close relationship with our parents, the call to honour them is still very clear in the Bible, and so we can do that by, you know, not speaking ill of them, yeah. um, and certainly by praying for them if they're still alive. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to say that in Kingsgate, I think we have wonderful examples of children growing up in the faith, honouring their parents. We have a number of three-generation and some four-generational families in Kingsgate, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And I just want to celebrate the fact that, you know, there are many, many of our Kingsgate members who are doing a fantastic job looking after and caring for elderly parents. We just want to celebrate yeah. that and cheer them on yeah. in, in, in that work. Great example. Wonderful. So Paul then goes on to, to specifically focus in on fathers. And, uh, and he says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so Dave, as a, as a father, what is that principle, what is that idea meant to you? Yeah, well I think it's very clear the importance here that again he's telling fathers, he's to the children, but now he's turning the tables in that culture, he's addressing fathers and saying, don't you misuse your authority, don't exasperate your children, do good to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I took that really seriously as a young dad, I wanted to be a blessing. Uh, to, to my children. So even before they were born, I started praying for them. Uh, once they started growing up, I would continue to pray for them and with them. Uh, I would read them Bible stories because I wanted to do my part, which was not in a heavy way or in a way that would put them off, but I wanted to teach them and model them something about what it meant to be a Christian and how amazing Jesus was to me yeah. as, as a, just an encouragement to them. But then on a, again, on a more practical level, for me, the big challenge was one of time. You know, as a busy, you know, young uh, pastor, tons to do, I made a quality decision very early on to set aside, some of you heard me on this before, um, you know, daddy-daughter nights on a Thursday night were between me and the girls. And we would have fun together, we'd go and eat, you know, McDonald's and KFC, do all kinds of things that mum wouldn't have done, you know. <laughs> We'd, we'd watch um, all kinds of films, uh, Dumbo, Thomas the Tank Engine, all the classics. And then we'd, we'd sort of upgraded to sort of chick flicks, parent trap. You know, we'd cry together, we'd hug together. 
And I, you know, it was just a great. What was the Princess Diaries? I've watched them all. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an expert. Got it all to come, Steve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but there, there was a bonding. There was there was a something that God did that I'm so glad about. I never ever regret. One of the best decisions of my life were those uh, was those Thursday nights. It really was an investment into those those precious girls. But also, I, both of us, um, very early on, realized the power of our words mm-hmm. and how, as parents, we had incredible authority for good or for harm in the words we spoke over them. Mm-hmm. So without pandering to them, we would make sure that we spoke words of life, encouragement over them. You know, and I would regularly tell them how much I love them. You know, and, and they just got used to it. It was like, you know, mm-hmm. Dad tells us that he loves us. So I'd say, you know, Emily, Annabelle, do you know I love you? Yes, Dad. Almost like, yeah, yeah, we know that, Dad. Nonchalant. But you know, I'm glad that they were almost, mm. yeah, we know that. Because I know I've got a Heavenly Father mm. who loves me deeply. I know He regularly whispers to me His love for me. And I thought, if I want to bring security and blessing in those girls, number one, I want them to know that they have a he- that an earthly dad who loves them, mm. but I'm just a pale reflection of a far greater dad who loves them with an everlasting love. And so I think something about speaking those words of life and affirmation, really, really key, really, really powerful. And then really the final thing to say is that in that atmosphere of love and encouragement, investment, you know, again, together in agreement, we sought to do the hard work of disciplining them. Um, you know, children do need disciplining and we decided to put the hard work in early, didn't yep. we? Um, you know, and so we would set clear boundaries. And um, we would let them know what those boundaries were, not being nitpicky about everything, but clear issues, things that really mattered, attitude issues, and said, okay, these are the boundaries, this will be the consequence, and if they went over the boundaries, we enforced the consequences. You know, and sometimes there'd be tears, and oh, I'm sorry, you know, and we'd, we'd love them, we'd hug them. But this wasn't an attitude of disapproval. If, if, if we were to ask them now, I know they would say that, you know, they would view the discipline as something that brought security, it brought life to them, it helped them, it, it was a training of them. And uh, you know, just to make sure that there wasn't a sort of a heavy atmosphere afterwards, very often, you know, after we'd hugged and they'd cried and we'd affirmed them, we loved them, we'd use this phrase very often, we'd say, do you know, it's now forgiven, forgotten, gone. Mm. I know how, that's how God deals with us, so we wanted to deal with them and cl- keep the atmosphere clear. So you know, boundaries, time investment, prayer, Words of affirmation, you know, great job being a dad. Loved it then, still love it today. Brilliant, brilliant. Karen, <laughs> right. turning to you, I'm, I'm not a parent, uh, but I know many parents, and from my observations, it looks like a pretty um, exhausting task. So how would you, how would you, um, I mean, how, how did you cope as a young mum in those early stages? Yeah. Well, there is no question, Steve. Becoming a parent is a huge sacrifice, and it's a lot of hard work, and there are challenges, but it is also an incredible uh, privilege as well. And um, I I remember when we first started thinking about starting a family, and, you know, I was almost surprised at my reaction, really, uh, which was one of... I was almost scared about the prospect Mm -hmm. of it, and... um, you know, I, I didn't feel particularly maternal 
Um, so that was one thing. And, you know, I, I am someone who likes to count the cost before a big decision. And, you know, just thinking through just the enormous uh, upheaval and sacrifice that it was going to be, was, was I able to do it? Could I actually even go this journey? And so I remember going to the Lord in prayer and just, you know, talking to him about it. And he reminded me of a scripture that, you know, has been quite a hallmark of my Christian journey. And it was this, uh, you know, if you can lose your life to gain it, you know, those who hold on to their life lose it, but those who let it go gain it. And, you know, I've applied that scripture. I know it's about for the sake of the, the gospel, but I've applied that scripture in my own personal life many times. And it was one of those moments again. There was just this whisper from the Lord, if you lose your life, you'll gain it. And so I kind of went into that whole new season yeah. with a fresh sense of faith that it was all going to be okay. And so by the time I actually did become a mum, I'd kind of made that adjustment in my head and in my heart and in my emotions and in my spirit. I knew that there were going to be sacrifices. I knew that, you know, to an extent, I was going to lose my life for the sake of actually bringing up these, this child as it was, you know, then, and but but it was just one of those things that because I'd made that shift in my heart, I was actually able to to navigate it, and I have to say it, it was actually the best the best thing I've ever done. Being a mum has been for me the most fulfilling thing ever, and so. But I I just think you know if we've got adjustments to make in our hearts, we know we've got to change priorities, particularly for a season in those early years yeah. where there needs to be a higher level of investment. We've just got to kind of embrace it and know that with God's help and his love and his grace, we can actually make it through those, those early years particularly. And, you know, I, as I say, it's just being a mum has been just a, a, a wonderful joy to me. And so the thing of laying, laying down our lives to gain it kind of brings us back full circle to, yeah. the, to the scripture that we read at the beginning, which was about submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that really is what family life is all about. It's, you know, it's about us all laying down our lives for one another, submitting to one another, honoring one another, preferring one another. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and if we're all doing that, then we're just going to create a really healthy environment where good family relationships, whether they're natural, whether they're marriage relationships, whether it's spiritual relationships, we want to cultivate a really healthy environment where we can all just do life together through the ups and downs and the ins and outs, the highs and lows, whatever it is, you know, and I just love the fact that we're here, you know, in, in what I consider to be the best family in the world, really, which is our, our Kingsgate family here. It's been such an incredible privilege to be part of seeing that grow. Right. And, you know, we just hope that, you know, from here and the, the weeks, months and years ahead, we're just going to keep growing as a healthy family loving one another. Amen. Amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. It's been amazing to have an insight into your own family and to, to learn from your example. So let's thank Dave and Karen for being with us. And just before, we, just before we finish, would you pray for us? Sure. Let's thank Steve for hosting us thank so you, well. Steve. And, uh, 
We'd like to pray for you all. So wherever you're gathered, we'd like you to just to stand. Um, we, we want to pray together. Conscious very much that, you know, some of the areas that we've shared about, we know that this is, there's no such thing as a perfect family. There's no such thing as a perfect uh, in, environment and situation. We're all on a journey. None of us is perfect. None of us arrived. And that, you know, there the are areas of pain. There'll be areas of discontent, of um, insecurity. There'll be areas of rejection. And so we want to pray for God's help, God's cleansing, God's forgiveness over every single one of us. Wherever we're at in the whole area of family or lack of family, we believe that we have a loving Heavenly Father who wants the best for yeah. us. Amen. So let, let, let's pray together. Why don't you join with us as we pray? Father, I want to thank you so much that you are our Heavenly Father yes, and we're loved by you. Thank you for the incredible example of Jesus Christ who came, laid his life down for us, that we might be forgiven, we might be set free, we might be restored and made whole. And so, Father, I pray right now where we need to ask you for forgiveness for where we've been at, where maybe we've harmed others and we've not done our part in any relational setting, marriage, family, or even the church family. We ask you to forgive us in Jesus' name. Lord, we acknowledge where we've fallen short. Why don't you just for a moment, you might just want to, if there's something specific, just acknowledge it before the Lord. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Father, even now, I thank you for the cleansing. We had a number of words about this meeting, about liberty and healing coming. And then Father, I pray, Lord, for those who are almost like being on the wrong receiving end of relational dysfunction and harm. I pray right now for a grace to begin a journey of forgiveness and healing in Jesus' name. You might just need to forgive some people or begin a journey. It can be painful, but sometimes we've just got to let things go. We want to honor one another. We want to honor our father and mother. We want to honor others around us, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray for healing now for those who have been hurt. I pray, Lord, where there's a sense of vacuum and a pain. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would meet the, you would fill the void with your loving presence now. In Jesus' mighty name. And now, wherever we gathered, why don't we just lift our hands like this as a, as a way of receiving. How many say you could do more with more help of the Holy Spirit in your relationships? Yeah. Yep, join the club. Well, he's already prefaced this whole passage with be filled with the Spirit. So I pray, Father, wherever we're at, husbands, wives, parents, children, singles or married, people in friendship relationships, wherever it is. Father, we pray right now for an upgrade in all our relationships right yes, now. Lord. I pray for a new anointing. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, in Jesus' mighty name, we pray blessing over every single person gathered, watching, listening to this interview for this time. We pray help, healing, and liberty in the name of Jesus. Agree with that? Let's say amen together. Let's thank God for his love.